Let's begin with a word of prayer again. Father, your voice is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And your mercies, your kindness has been great towards us, Lord. Lord, you are good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy and in truth. So we pray, Father, that you would have mercy upon us tonight, that we would forgive our sins, cleanse our minds and our hearts, Lord, that we can understand and hear your word and receive it in good ground. We thank you that we have a mediator in Jesus Christ. We would pray, Father, tonight for Hazel. We would ask your mercies upon her as she's at the hospital. We pray for the family, that you would bring comfort and wisdom to the doctors, and that you would show yourself mighty in this circumstance, Lord, that they might even be witnesses of your grace and your mercy in the midst of unbelievers. And we pray now for your Holy Spirit to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text tonight is Sermon on the Mount. Last time I preached on this was a lot longer ago than I thought. I think it was last summer. So uh, I'll give a quick review But first, let's read our uh, text tonight. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1, reading to verse 12. And seeing the multitudes, he went on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven." For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As we enter into this sermon again, I want to ask you a question. What makes you different? What makes you different from the natural man? If you profess to be a Christian, are you different? And if so, what makes you different? This sermon goes in opposition to the natural mind. We see this even in the Beatitudes. These are contrary to the thinking of the world. Reviewing what we looked at before, we can see this. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. A person that is conscious of their spiritual bankruptcy before God is poor in spirit. Has this happened to your heart and your mind? Have you seen yourself with nothing before God? Spiritually bankrupt. And have you mourned and grieved over this? And do you grieve over your sins even now? Now has this picture of yourself and this mourning caused you to be hungry and thirsty after righteousness? Is there a craving in your soul for the righteousness before God judicially and a practical righteousness in your life? First, you must have, as we have seen before, a judicial righteousness before God before you can even have this heart that's described here. You must experience the new birth, as John calls it in chapter 3. If you have experienced this, you will pursue God and holiness, without which no man will see the Lord. But this pursuit is an everyday thing. This pursuit of holiness consumes you more than anything in your life. And it's not just one or the other. You are pursuing God and you are pursuing holiness. You cannot pursue God without holiness and a hunger for it. And if you try to pursue holiness without God, it's a pharisaism. It's, it's bankrupt. It's nothing. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, we have truth become reality. We have redemption expressed. These beatitudes are a mark of a true Christian. In our text tonight, we come to one of those other marks. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, as I study for these and as I go over these, especially this last one, I I get very convicted in my own heart. And this one especially, but I could probably say that for each one I come upon, I ask myself, am I even a Christian? Do I have this mercy? Because as I study this mercy, it's more than I thought. So let's start with what is mercy, what is biblical mercy. And to do this, let's start with a definition. I looked far and wide for definitions, and I found one that really contained most of the the parts of other definitions that I found in one definition. It was by a man named Hugh Knox, which probably no one has ever heard of, but he was a minister in the 1700s, late 1700s. And I have an old book by him that I'm sure nobody else has. (laughs) But his definition goes farther than what we usually think of when we define mercy. What do we think of when we define mercy? Well, I think we fall back on the old saying, well, we, we think of grace and mercy. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve, and mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. Does that sound familiar? But it goes farther than this. It's not just negative, but it's mostly positive. It's primarily positive. And we miss that in that definition. So Hugh Knox says, Mercy is a kind, compassionate, sympathizing concern for the miserable, which prompts to readiness to help 
relieve, or at least alleviate their, their miseries when it is in their power of the merciful and fit and right to be done. So every word in that is pretty important. Let me read it one more time. Mercy is a kind, compassionate, sympathizing. So you have those ingredients in mercy. Kindness, compassion, sympathizing, concern for the miserable, which prompts to a readiness to help, relieve, or at least alleviate their miseries when it is in the power of the merciful and fit and right to be done. Now, according to the commentator William Barclay, which is probably a little more familiar to you, the original word for mercy in our Bible meant the ability to get right inside another person's skin until we can see things with his eyes, think things with his mind, and feel things with his feelings. It gives you a good idea what, what that is. Now, to do this, it usually requires effort on our part. It's deliberate. Do you ever do that? Try to put yourself in someone else's skin that's suffering, that's miserable. It's deliberate. It's an act of the will to understand the person. So this would probably call to your mind, again, sympathy and empathy. But again, it's not just sympathy. It goes farther. It's love in action, compassion in action. It's active. It's compassion in work clothes, as one put it. You can be filled with compassion, but come short of true mercy. And that's, uh, I think that's where, where a lot of us stop. We can have compassion, but is it true, full mercy? It's a love and kindness that originates from the heart towards those in need and those who have wronged us. It's a heart eager to forgive. Now, there's a big quality of mercy, forgiving. It's a heart eager to forgive others who have failed us or sinned against us. So who are the merciful? Well, think of the word, merciful. They're those that are full of mercy. Let me sound simple, but it didn't dawn on me. Um, my wife, I asked, what is the the neo on my bag mean? I thought, I hope it's nothing bad, because I just picked up the bag somewhere, you know, and she says, well, that's, that's new. It's like, oh, what is that? What? How do you get that? <laughs> well, neo-orthodox, you know. It's new. Anyway, <laughs> merciful, it's like the word awful. We don't think of the word awful. Like the King James Bible says God is awful. But today we think, wow, that's terrible. No, it's full of awe. God is awful because he's full of awe. So it is with mercy. We're full of mercy. <clears throat> now there can be a counterfeit mercy. In 1 Corinthians 13, familiar chapter on love, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So it's not just the action but it's the heart also. We can see a little of that in the negative sense. In, in 1 John 3, we get more of a hint of what this mercy is. 1 John chapter 3, and verse 17. Well, let me start at 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
It's a relationship to the brethren here. But whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shuts up the bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So you can replace the word love with mercy there because mercy is a part of love. And you'll notice that he says in there, shuts up his bowels of compassion. That's that's the King James, as you probably noticed when I started reading that. In In the old times, in the Hebrew, they thought of compassion as stirring the actual intestines, the inner, the stomach. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I know I, I could associate with that. So there was a deep feeling, even in, in our body, when there was true compassion. Bowels of compassion. So you could say the heart of compassion. <clears throat> now, to get a really good idea of what mercy is, I'd like to look at God's mercy. And if we don't see anything else tonight, I'd like to, to, to see that, that we would, would know God's mercy as our example. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 33. Now, I'm not going to read the whole context. It would take too long, but I think you're familiar with it. When, when Moses asks to see God and his glory, he says in verse 18, please show me your glory. And God replies to him that you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Think about, ponder that. No man can look upon God as we are now in our sinful state and live. That's an awesome thing. God is so holy that not only he cannot look upon sin, but we cannot look upon God. So he says, you shall see my back. In my face you shall not see. So down in verse in 30, chapter 34, in verse 5, Now the Lord descended in, in the cloud and stood with him there and pro- proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Now get this. The first thing that he does to really to show his glory is to make this proclamation. The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. Now, you heard a little of that this morning, and a lot of John's sermon this morning couples with this, I believe. So you have the holiness of God that he can't just arbitrarily forgive sin because he's a just and holy God. But he's a merciful God. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. So Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. So the, the first thing on his resume there was merciful. That, that, that makes it pretty important. Elsewhere, we, say, uh, we see it all through the Bible, God's mercy. It's, it's, a, it's a reoccurring theme over and over and over again. In Psalm 25, verses 6 to 7, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, 
for they are from of old. Do, do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. So here's a plea from the psalmist. Because of God's mercy, he could plead this. Remember your tender mercies. When I think of the mercy in, in my life, I think of tender, how tender he's been with, how, how, how he's treated me so, so much less than I deserve. So he says he reminds God of his attribute of mercy. In Psalm 51, a familiar psalm of repentance, again, remembering God's mercy and pleading the attribute of mercy to God, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. The multitude of your mercies. In Psalm 86, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. There's that forgiveness factor in mercy. And abundant in mercy to all those that call upon you. In Micah, he says he delights in mercy. When you have mercy on someone, God delights in that. And he delights to have mercy on you and on others. In Exodus, when the people were down, his people were down in Egypt, he says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of the taskmasters, for I know their sorrows or their pain. So he saw the oppression of his people, he heard their cries, and he knew of their sorrows and their pain. So what was the result of that? So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good land, to a good and large land flowing with milk and honey. Does that remind you of anything in your life? Delivered from the prince of the power of the air? If you're a Christian, you've been delivered and transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. God has not only just had compassion, he's acted on that in your life as a Christian. We can see the heart of God even clear through the revelation of God through Jesus Christ, our, our example in his life. Matthew nine thirty-five to 38. It reads, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, there, there's acts of mercy right there. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Notice the components of Jesus' compassion. He saw the multitudes, and when he saw them, he was moved. There's that moving inside of him of compassion. That shows the very heart of God. Moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered and had had no shepherd. In a like situation, 
in Mark 6, he saw them, the multitude, and he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So what did he do? He began to teach them many things. There's a component of, of mercy and compassion. Teaching. He taught them. And then, when the day was far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and so you know the rest. What does he do? He feeds them. He feeds their bodies. <clears throat> now this is a, an area that I want to bring out that could be a hindrance, I think, to some people in seeing God as merciful. And I, I would like to do a whole teaching on this, but I have, to, I have to keep this brief. But God takes no delight in suffering. Now, this is a statement that will probably stir some people's minds. But I'd like to point out a few, a few areas of Scripture and keep this in mind as we look through these. He ordains it, the suffering. He uses it for his just and wise purposes, but he does not delight in it in itself. In Luke 19, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Speaking of Jerusalem, when he draw near to the city of Jerusalem, he began to weep, saying, if you had known, even especially in the day, in this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. There's a judgment of God, but you can see by Jesus weeping over the city, he he took no delight in that. In Lamentations 3, verses 32 to 33, though he causes grief, there's the sovereignty of God, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his tender mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. If there's another way, I believe God would do it. Quoting Thomas Williams, another minister back from the uh, 1700s and 1800s, He says, as God is a being of perfect and infinite benevolence, from his own nature he hates whatever is evil and desires the greatest good that can exist. Matthew 23, 37. Again, coming upon Jerusalem, you hear Jesus. And you just hear hear the, 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 the grief in his voice as he says this. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But again, you were not willing. How often I wanted, you see the desire of God, to gather you, but you would not be willing. In the words of judgment that were given to the prophet Ezekiel, to, the, to Israel, he says, Repent and turn from all your transgressions so in, that iniquity will not be your ruin, 
Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and live. Is that your heart when you preach the gospel? Is that your heart when you minister to the lost? Get your heart right before we minister to the lost. Don't be mechanical in it. Speaking of Israel, oh, they, oh, that they had a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Again, the desire of God. You may ask, and this came to my mind, well, what about in Isaiah 53.10 where it said it pleased the Lord to bruise him? You know who he's speaking of there. He's speaking of the Son of, Son of God in Isaiah 53. Well, in the King James, it says that. It pleased the Lord to bruise, to bruise him. So I think we can get a little wrong idea of, 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 of what he means there. In the ESV, it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Let me, let me read from verse 9 in the ESV. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in, in, in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So you see the will of the Lord is there, the providence of God. <clears throat> the de- desires of God's heart always, aren't always the same as, as his designs. There's a difference there. It's hard, to, it's hard for us to conceive of that. But I don't want us to lose the compassion, the mercy of God's heart for us and for the lost. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. Now notice this part. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So there's the purpose of God there in the the death of his son. His will would prosper. But I I don't believe God the Father had any pleasure of watching Christ suffer and be crucified on the cross. Now, did the Son of God have to take on flesh and live a sinless life and die and suffer the wrath of God to deliver us from the wrath to come? Well, some of us might think, well, God is sovereign. He could just do it any other way that he pleases. I don't believe so. If there was any other way that God could deliver man from his sin, he would have done it. The son, the, he spared not his own son. In those words, there's a lot of a sacrifice even of God that he spared not his own son to deliver us. In Hebrews, we read, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that, through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. In verse 17, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. He had to be made like man. He had to take on flesh and he had to suffer death to become our high priest. I, I believe that gives you a, a view of the astounding 
mercy of God that he spared not his own son so we could be the recipients of his mercy. We can also see the heart of God in, 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 uh, later in the Sermon on the Mount concerning mercy in Matthew 5 as he preaches to his disciples. He says this, this long list of things that are very contrary to the world and how we should even treat our enemies, that we should love our enemies, bless those who curse us, do good to those who hate us, pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So there's God's mercy. So he says that you may be like him, like, like the son, son of God, have the same heart. He says in verse 44, 48, Therefore ye shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So there's your model. There's the heart of mercy to hunger and thirst after. And I, I think we've established, or we've, perhaps you know that God is mercy, merciful already, but do we really? Do we know the extent of that mercy? I hope we have a better picture from some of these, these scriptures. So a truly merciful man will be one who reflects the image of Jesus Christ in his heart and in his life. He will delight in mercy. He will love mercy. Mercy will go before his face. So are you merciful? Are you merciful tonight? So remembering our definition, I'll come to a, a, a different stage here. Mercy is a kind, compassionate, sympathizing concern for the miserable. So, the objects of mercy. What are the objects of our mercy? Well, for there to be mercy, there needs to be misery. For us to have mercy, we need to know, we need to see, and we need to feel the mercy of our, uh, the, the misery, I should say, of our fellow man. We can see this in Luke 10 in the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you would like to turn there, <clears throat> we'll just look at a, a couple of characteristics of this mercy. So the, the context here is this, this man that came to Jesus is, is asking, him, asking him questions, and he's, he's trying to justify himself. He says, um, what should I do and inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says, well, it's written in the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, in verse 27, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he gives this parable of a good Samaritan. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So here's this guy on the side of the road. He's, he's probably stripped naked. He's half dead. So he's probably laying there. He looked dead. I don't know how half dead is, but it's pretty dead almost. It's pretty miserable. Let's, let's put, put it that way. Now, by chance, that's interesting form of words there. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Now, think about it. He's a priest. He's probably going to do his priestly duties. So if this guy was dead, he sure didn't want to get near him because he would have been unclean. So he avoids the whole situation by going to the other side of the road. We 
we can have very many excuses to go to the other side of the road. I've done it. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. He, you know, he looked, at, looked at him and stopped there, though. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion. He was moved with compassion. There's the moving of compassion. But he had to set eyes on him. And there was a difference in, in, in his heart than the other. There was that compassion that stirred within him. So he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. There's the actions of mercy. There's the legs on mercy. And it goes on to, to say how he, how he cared for him at his own expense. Sometimes mercy, a lot of times mercy will cost us. It may cost us time. It may cost us pride. It may cost us money, possessions. I remember when I was coming to church one day, it's almost like the, the priest on his way to do his duties. I was coming to church, driving with the family, and uh, right on a, a sharp curve on my left, I noticed just before the, the intersection coming here, a motorcycle was, was down, and the, and the guy was, was up, but he, was, he had this motorcycle down on the ground. He obviously took the turn too fast and, and laid it down. I know what that's like. I've been there. It's not always easy to get, pick up that motorcycle either. And there was this, like, there was a compassion, and there was this gnawing. I mean, well, you need to go help that guy. But I had my family. I was late for church, and I just kept driving. You see the mistake there? I should have stopped. I should have helped that guy. God would have been more pleased with that than me coming and giving, as it were, my sacrifice to have mercy rather than sacrifice. So it could cost you, and Jesus tells the man after, after you said, and he said, he who showed mercy on him, the, the, the man answers him the question, well, who, had, who do you think was the neighbor? And he said, well, that guy that showed mercy. And he says, go and do likewise. Also, you can see it in the, the parable of the two sons. I'm, for time's sake, I'm not going to look there. But you can look at that. Um, you see two sides of that, too. You see the brother that doesn't have compassion on the prodigal. But you see the father. He's just ready. There's, he's, that's, there's that readiness to forgive in true compassion. He rushes. Is that our heart? Are we, are we eager to forgive another that's wronged us? He was pretty wrong, the father. But he was eager to forgive. <clears throat> the mercy is concerned with the whole man. Mercy is concerned for the temporal, the spiritual, and the eternal. The temporal, you have a lot of things that are temporal in, in the miseries of man. You have pain, you have diseases, you have sufferings. Of all kinds, the troubled minds, wants and necessities, disappointments, tragedies, oppression, all sorts of afflictions. But what's the most con- important consideration in our mind when we think of mercy? Or what should be the pressing matter upon our minds? Ask yourself that right now. The issue that we, we should be more concerned with than anything else is a man's soul. Not to leave the other undone. But you think about it, it's just a few years of life on this earth. But the souls we look upon in misery 
have an eternity to look forward to. How do you see them, the lost, those without Christ? Do you see them as miserable, without hope, and without God in this world? The Bible describes them as the whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. They're the walking dead. They're not just sick, they're dead. They're dead in trespasses and sins, and they're walking blindly to an eternal hell. How often do you see the man walking down the street as that? I, I kind of, I, when I'm at a, a red light and people are turning left in front of me, a lot of times I look at them. I see their faces and I wonder, well, I wonder what their life is like. You know, there's, there's the guy, he's driving his hemi truck, he's, his dog is hanging out the window and, you know, country music playing. Hey, he, life is good for that guy. But do I see him eternally? Do I see him lost, facing an endless perdition? If he doesn't have Christ, he may be happy, but he's deceived without Christ. And he's stumbling on to the precipice of hell, to unquenchable fire, to an everlasting torment, to a place where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. I was going to get to tonight to the second part of that, <clears throat> Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. But I'm going I'm to save that for next time. Um, I think I'd, I'd like to continue and, and make more applications that I have. But I'd like us to think about the mercy of God in this one aspect at least, and I'll, I'll bring this up in the, in the next teaching also, but why we can have mercy on others as Christians. In Titus 2, 3, 2, it says, Paul is exhorting Titus to remind those in the church to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish. So he's like he's saying, remember? Remember what you were? You were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving different lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now he goes on to say, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. There's your works of mercy. These things are good and profitable to men. So having mercy on others, having the heart of mercy and the action of mercy towards others is good and profitable to you and also to other men. But the motivation 
is the mercy that he showed us in redeeming us. So think about it. Where would you be today without the mercy of God dawning in your life? How often do you think about that? And as I was thinking about this, <clears throat> again, it's, it's remembering. Paul, Paul did this when he said, I was the chief of sinners. He remembered what he used to be. He persecuted the church. He, he saw himself as, as one of the greatest sinners for what he, he did. So it's a matter of remembering where we were and that we would be in that same spot if it was not for the mercy of God. And I think a, a, an excellent opportunity of this is when we have communion. Do you ever do that when we have communion? I think some of us sometimes when we sit down for communion, we don't know what to think about because it's like, wow, we're having communion. But remember what you were and what you are now because of the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a healthy thing to remember. So look to him who was with God and who was God, who created all things but humbled himself and became flesh and dwelt among us, that we could someday dwell in a new heaven and a new earth. Interesting thing about our definition before, remember it was the ability to get right inside another person's skin until we can see things with his eyes, think things with his mind, and feel things with his feelings. God did literally just that in Jesus Christ. He became flesh. So look to him who was rejected of men that we may be accepted by God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the immense mercy that you've had upon us, that we can even understand your word tonight and receive it. We thank you for the infinite mercy that you loved us even before the foundation of the world, that you saw our sufferings, that you saw our misery and had compassion on us, that you sent your Son into the world and became flesh for us. Father, help, help us to understand this. Help us to meditate on these things. Help us to appreciate these things. Always remind us and that we might remember not only in the past, the great mercy you've had upon us, but the mercy you have upon us every day, every hour. For your compassions fail not. They are renewed every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.